0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: What's going on, guys? This is Carm Gill, the director of G-Funk, and I'm chilling here at Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> what's up this is rebel radio what up what up this is dj newmark this is peanut butter wolf it's your boy it's okay keep checking out rebel radio rebel radio this is rebel radio we're in the place right here Ah. rebel radio is going down what
2: did you say rebel radio
1: oh wait let's do it again
2: Rebel Radio. hey what's up y'all welcome back to rebel radio we got big things popping at rebel radio this month i know you heard us Uh, at South by Southwest, live on stage with Catherine Burns from The Moth recently, as well as uh, John Levy, which we caught up with at South by. And next we're off to Coachella. We'll be podcasting live from the Coachella media tent, bringing you some special interviews from uh, participating artists. More to come on that, but this week, we're in studio with Karam Gill. He's the director of G-Funk, a documentary about uh, Warren G and west coast gangster rap uh, looks like it's going to be an exciting movie i haven't seen it yet but i know they they were blowing up at south by and uh he's got some really interesting things to say about his process of making his first feature documentary um, karam's a young director he's been coming up through the music video circuit uh, making videos for folks like marshmallow and Borgore. gore and he's gonna kind of Give us some insight into his process, how he got this job as a young dude who didn't live through the G-Funk era or experience any of that personally. But he says the key to his success has just been preparation that he went in knowing more about it than anybody else they'd talked to and and won the job that way. So really good lessons coming up from Karan Gill about G-Funk right after our EDM.com track of the week.
1: Jolly. You came all the way from nowhere, and say you're trying Wanna leave a couple of footprints before you're dying You say you ain't sell your
0: soul,
2: but maybe you're lying Well, 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 I cannot tell Wanna be free and get out of hell Wanna be me and break my shell And ain't what it seems, what
1: people want not tell Fell a thousand times
2: Yo, that was Thello with a track called What Matters, your EDM.com track of the week. That's on the Lavish channel. Go to soundcloud.com slash lavish for more just like that. And right now, let's get into the interview with Karam Gill.
1: Okay.
2: So anyways. That's why. Uh, that's partly why I was really excited to talk to you. Yeah. Because, you know, I lived it a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, I certainly remember it. But um, but I'm excited, you know, to learn uh, about you. And so, dude, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate yeah, it. For sure. um, I want to talk a little bit about you know the high from South by Southwest and, and everything else you're doing. Uh, but take us back. I want. I, I kind of. I'm interested to know how you became the guy that's making this Chief Funk documentary um so have you always been into music uh yeah my, that... my
1: parents always uh <clears throat> my parents always used to play a lot of like 70s like that door right? and fire you know like isley brothers all that type of stuff growing up um
2: do you remember the first record that you bought
1: the first <laughs> the first record i bought was uh in, two, in 1999 2001 by dre
0: oh really uh Top dog, yeah. Oh cool.
1: <laughs> My mom bought it for me and then they put it on and they were like, Wow, I don't know if we should have got this. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, man, so that, that was probably the first one.
2: Yeah. And so you were you were hooked on hip hop from the beginning
1: yeah oh yeah. yeah and so um yeah I have just I kind of grew up on that music
2: yeah um and that kind of got me
1: into like you know the Warren G Snoop Dogg Dr. Dre era um yeah
2: yeah so hard. I know now you have I've seen a bunch of your music videos mm-hmm. some of your brand stuff and it looks like you have a great portfolio coming together it's
1: coming together slowly <laughs> what
2: was the first do you remember the first music video that like really impacted you
1: Man, uh Damn, I don't <laughs> No. Uh That's okay. I don't know, man. I I just I kind of just like started watching music videos and then yeah. and then uh you know actually it's kind of such a weird such a weird video. I had a neighbor and it was the right there video by Chingy. And oh, for shit. some reason like like that might have been like, the first video I watched. <laughs> it wasn't like profoundly creative, but I was just like, "Oh, I didn't know music videos ex- existed." And that's funny. That might have been one of the first ones. And then, so how did
2: how you start making video? Was that, like, at what point did you know that, that you wanted to do that?
1: Um, I've always, like, been, you know, shooting photos and whatnot. Okay. The full story is, actually, I used to play college soccer, and I uh, tore my ACL. Mm. <clears throat> and I kind of took a big break from, like, you know, creative stuff to play soccer. I was trying to go semi-pro and, you know, do something there. Oh, wow. And uh, tore my ACL. I had reconstruct knee surgery um, in college two and a half years in, and then... I uh my buddy was like look dude like you got to you know get back to doing something productive or else you're just gonna sit around all day yeah um so he's like come shoot my show and then I went to go shoot his show I ran to Warren backstage I was like can I shoot your show because he was opening up for Warren mm-hmm. and that's kind of why was I, your friend oh just kid Rob he's like it's just like a low smaller like a um, artist that's coming up right now okay um he's pretty talented yeah and uh he uh he's like yeah I'm opening up for Warren G if you want to come through so I was like all right <laughs> Me and my buddy went, we shot Warren's show and ran into Warren, and then that led to me starting to do all of his media, creative direction and stuff oh, like nice. that. And, uh, you know, here's actually the first video that I did. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how it started. That's the, uh, what, what was the video? Uh, from my house? Yeah, yeah. Okay. me and a couple of my buddies just kind of,
0: collaborate on that would be nice yeah
2: so how'd you know like you meet Warren G and like what gives you the confidence to say I can do your creative and like where, where's that come <laughs>
1: Warren's from Warren's just such a cool guy Warren yeah. like came up to us and he's like what do you cause we were just backstage he's like what do you guys do cause we had cameras around yeah. right and we we're like, oh, we, uh, you know, we shoot photos, videos. We, we, what are we gonna say? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. We just mess around, sure. And he was like, well, you guys like started talking to us, and I was like, well, can we shoot your show? And he said, yeah. So he brought us on stage with him, and yeah, we cut it up. Next day, we were at Jimmy Kimmel with him, and from there on out, we were just like doing all
2: his media. Nice. And great. so, were you thinking that this is a career at that point, or what were you
1: thinking? Um, at that point, <clears throat> it was just like. You know, I'm in college, like 20 years old, 21 years old. I just thought it was cool. (laughs) All my friends were like, What? You're touring with Warren G? Like, you're at Snoop Dogg shows? Like, what are you doing? Like, I was like, I don't know, man. It's just, (laughs) it wasn't until about six months in that I realized that, you know, this is something that I really want to do, Mm -hmm. like, full time. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped rehabbing my knee and stopped soccer. So, did you think you were
2: going pro soccer before that? Or you
1: N- not like pro pro like yeah. semi pro like yeah. you know just dabble in like a couple years after college yeah um i was never like a professional
2: professional okay um yeah yeah so um <clears throat> how much did you know you know of the the Warren story and the whole you know G-Funk, like sound like you were into that music but you you must have been pretty young when you discovered all that
1: mm-hmm.
2: so like how much were you familiar with like the all the history and the culture and all that
1: mm-hmm. um i was born after 8 came out, so <laughs> 94. so uh right um it also i mean i I figured it all out when i was on the road with warren because we would just you know be with huge artists and they would just be talking about crazy things like right Talk next about to the old days. oh me and tupac did this and me and yeah. this happened me and biggie went to you know bedside did this whatever you know and after a while i was like dude like you have the most incredible story Like a true like hero's journey it's you know a scripted thing Mm -hmm. and so we started writing out and he's like i've been wanting to do this for years nice and so i was like well damn let's do it
2: that's cool um and then i know you've done a bunch of other music videos borgor and marshmallow and saw a bunch of stuff so where did that how'd that happen
1: um you know shortly after working with warren you know once you kind of work with someone in the industry other people kind of you're like validated if you will yeah um and my buddy Daniel, um, his cousin's Shall Easy, uh, Marshmallow's okay. manager. Yeah, and uh, so that's how you know we started working with Marshmallow and doing all his stuff, um, and then, you know, the other stuff kind of just came. People just kind of hit me up, hit mm-hmm. our company up. Um, yeah.
2: So what do you what do you think? Like, <clears throat> uh, you know, when you start getting into that with with different artists, like there's so many directors out there right and and uh so what do you feel like you bring that's different or 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 maybe how do you like articulate the your unique perspective
1: um, um I think that you know being younger um I'm 22 so it kind of a lot of labels and and artists and things like that when they work with someone like myself you get someone who understands how to connect with that younger demographic and that mm-hmm. digital demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing. And the other thing is I think I have a, 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 one of my strengths is just being able to like understand what you know the kid who sits in the back of the class is going to want to see and what's going to connect with him emotionally, but also the guy who's the quarterback of the football team mm. and be able to kind of create content that appeals to all types of kids um, as well as adults, but stuff that's universal.
2: So why um, do you think you're able to do that? I don't
1: know, man. I think, you know, I've experienced a lot of different things. I think um, I've traveled quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents always introduced me to different things. I've I've always made an effort to try to get to know all people. Um, whether, you know, like, especially in L.A. high school, it's like the clickiest thing in the world. But you, you, right? if, you, if you step out of that and you try to meet everyone, yeah. you understand their perspectives. And that then, you know, consequently helps you understand the world better, I think. Yeah. So.
2: That's interesting um so so tell us about the film so it's warren's story right how much um how much do you think is like personal versus just broader like what was happening in music and g-funk and and all that
1: Mm -hmm. um so it's the it's the g-funk story Mm -hmm. um with warren g being you know the backbone and you know protagonist if you will cool um and it's his story yeah um it's basically how you know g-funk big picture how g-funk commercialized hip-hop music how it transformed hip-hop from gangster rap that you know was urban and you know it's very select to Mm -hmm. music that became pop and white america started purchasing hip-hop albums you know snoop's album was the first album history of in the history of music to debut at number one mm-hmm. first debut album at number one on the billboard charts mm-hmm. um dre and warren also extremely commercial sure talks about that and then that's kind of like the backs the backstory of, of the rise of g funk and then you have warren g trials and tribulations that he overcame in his path to success yeah um and being such an instrumental figure in connecting the dots with everyone um so those two things together, I would say, shape the the framework of the documentary.
2: What did you learn? That what, what were the, what were the big surprises that you learned in that process?
1: Um, preparation is, is is like insanely important. I'm sure you know that as a as a journalist, but yeah. uh, um, especially with this documentary, we didn't want to have a narrator. Um, we were in talks with some pretty you know big artists to narrate yeah. originally, but yeah. we were like, you know what, G Funk's a smooth sound. It's a flowing sound. We need. Document that flows seamlessly so in order to have everyone complete each other's sentences and have this fluid story it's you know it took a year or two of just straight research and scripting interviews and mapping out the big six-foot boards two of them of how the story flows wow um I don't think I'm ever going to take those apart these big cork boards. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll <laughs> um so yeah it's a lot of preparation man yeah
2: how's that experience shaped your your perception of the the music obviously you said you weren't you didn't live through it right so it's funny i think um i mean it sounds like you you're the right choice hearing you talk about it but you wouldn't necessarily be the obvious choice that if somebody told me there was a a warren g documentary or a G funk documentary i probably wouldn't have guessed that it was you making it
1: yeah. <laughs> um that's what a lot of people were, were saying at, Yeah, at, uh I mean the producers too, they 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 th- said the same thing and they're like, I was like, if you guys you don't want to mute me, you can so they all flew in from Cleveland. Wait, so
2: who who produced the film?
1: Um our executive producer was Matt Carpenter, um, who's a, a really like one of the most incredible dudes I've ever met out of Cleveland. Um Bob Regieri. Um he did Take Shelter, Kings of Summer, Cannes Film Festival, Sundance. Um, Gary uh, Uzdal uh-huh. and uh, Rafael Chavez, along with Warren G, and um, Gary came from Tyler Perry. Um, Rafael and him have a company together, and
2: then Warren. Okay. Um, so they 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 didn't necessarily feel like you were the obvious choice.
1: Well, no, they, I mean they didn't have anything against it. They were just like, all right, this is weird. Like this kid, you know, literally yeah. was born after the fact. Uh, right. Let's you know see what he's all about. Because they hired me when I was twenty twenty one.
2: So how did you overcome that?
1: I mean, they they all flew in <clears throat> to uh, one of the producers' houses. He has a big house <laughs> in Tarzana, and uh, they just started grilling me on the on the project. They're like, "All right, right, we'll start talking about it." So I just went through it, and I had these big boards, and they started asking me, "Well, what if this ha- doesn't happen? What if we don't get that interview?" And I was like, oh, "Well, then we do this." And they were like, and "By the end of it, they're like, honestly, man, like I don't think anyone knows more about this than you do." Nice. And I was like, "Yeah." Here's the two big boards. Yeah. Do you have any more
2: questions? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, I'm excited to have a new sponsor on board. This week we got Blue Apron. Um, If you're into cooking, Blue Apron's about to make it a whole lot easier for you. They're gonna save you time, money, make it more convenient, enable you to cook with family, friends, whatever. What they do is they deliver right to your door. Uh, fresh and healthy recipes ready for you to cook. Uh, They deliver all over the country, 99% of the country, they can get it straight to your door and it's just the exact amount of each ingredient, so you're not wasting food. It's healthy, the food is all responsibly sourced and sustainable and all that good stuff that makes it good for you and your family. And for me, I like that uh, it's never the same recipe, so lots of variety. Check out this week's menu, and you'll get your first three meals free because you're a Rebel Radio listener. That's first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com rebel. I think you'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com rebel. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. How, so having gone through this now, how does that change your filmmaking? like from before this project to after
1: um it's given me not that i didn't have it before but i think it's given me a little more confidence to <laughs> to now seeing this come to fruition is just like damn like i didn't you know what i mean like to have all these incredible artists and athletes and names behind yeah. this project um i think it's just gonna open doors and it's, it's gonna you know it's given me the confidence to go out and really pitch anything i want And whatever is on my mind and whatever I want to create so
2: kind of empowering I guess yeah and what do you think you want to do as a filmmaker like if you look back or if you look ahead what do you think your contribution is to filmmaking um
1: just you know telling stories I love like you know underdog stories Warren's an underdog story Um, I love stuff like that I love music projects um I want to create things that are very commercial but have a lot of um undertones whether it's political or you know thematic like you need to overcome this like giving you something to take away from it mm-hmm. but using the commercial ability of the project to reach a wide amount of people so like this project for instance is i think it's very commercial it's going to go and out in the world and do a lot of things sure within it you know there's a lot about the black-white police tension, the Rodney King, a lot of p- things that people kind of, now with OJ and all that stuff that's come out, it's it's out there, but right. a lot of the police stuff, this documentary addresses that head-on. It also addresses, you know, overcoming things and family and friendship, and being able to do it through a commercial project allows you to reach a lot of people mm-hmm. and get your message out there. So I think that's kind of my, what I want to do as a filmmaker.
2: That's great. So o- other than convincing the producers, Were there obstacles that you had overcome in the the process? Um, Or was it all smooth? (laughs) No, I mean,
1: it was a a lot of creative um, roadblocks um, that you had to just, you know, if you couldn't get an interview or you couldn't do something, like, okay, how do you fill that hole? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was just, yeah, mostly just little creative things that came up, but that's like anything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So is that easy for you then to be, like, kind of nimble and just jump to the next? Or or is there anything that's, like, you know, is there any point where you start to question, like, am I making the right choices?
1: Um, you always question everything you do. Um, but you got to have a, a vision and be strong-willed. Mm-hmm. And as a director, you know, you can't, you know, constantly be second-guessing. But, you know, thankfully I had, you know, two incredible editors and one in Los Angeles that was an incredible, Andrew Primavera, and he uh, he was, you know, the best soundboard and, and, you know, helped with so many, creating so many ideas and, you know, ways to do things that you mm-hmm. just bounce things off of him. And, you know, I'd ask him, like, all right, man, what do you think about this? And he'd hit me with the pros, cons. Like, I'm like, damn, like, there you go. He laid it out, like, right. you know? So that's good. I think having a good editor really gets you around that.
2: Yeah. What about, um, you know, obviously, like, there was a lot of controversy at the time. Um, at the time, all this was happening, right? Between East Coast, West Coast. You know, as I mentioned, I, was, I, was, uh, I had front row seats to that with, with West
0: Side Connection. my away, get your by this Ain't no it. I'm um, and means
2: You know, the biggie and Tupac and just beef. It was it was a time of a lot of beef. Um is that still is that still lingering? Like, are people hesitant at all to talk about that stuff?
1: No, not at all. Huh. Um, it's actually funny. The documentary. Every single person from Too Short to Snoop to Warren, pretty much all said it was all the media that kind of created that. Yeah. Um, and you know, at the time, Warren was in with, was with Biggie in in New York during that whole time, and yeah. it wasn't really what it was made to be. It was it was kind of instigated and created. Sure um you know to sell to sell media and i mean everyone agreed on that
2: for the most part yeah i remember when i was with dub c we went to new york and you know we were a little uh i would just say concerned because not knowing you know what we're walking into um and we're walking down the street and like some kids ran up on us and we're just like you know appreciative they were like just big fans of dub c in in the middle of new york city and you know i think we all had that moment where we kind of realized that that like fans don't care they love you know they love music and they love this culture and and um you know that's one particular you know there's a lot of motive and i think that is to to your point about um how that commercialized hip-hop you know in general i think that's totally true and i think all the beef had a big part of that right that it wasn't simply just the music but there was all this theater around it playing out in these larger than life characters and i think that's a lot of what fueled just how big everything got yeah
1: yeah i mean i think it, it you know i think it almost hurt it as well i think well, i think long term it
2: did yeah for sure
1: no i think it, i think it hurt it a lot i mean the g-funk era essentially came to like a
2: not a halt
1: but 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 it, it stopped a little bit yeah you know with the progression of g-funk spreading and just like the you know that sound spreading it became a lot more gritty and intense and you know battle rappy and and like east versus west diss tracks this and that whereas like before that you had you know the chronic doggy style regulate dog food all that stuff was very like just let's party and have a good time yeah Yeah. it's
2: the incredible liberal you can't be me like me
0: See me it's gonna take miracle. I'm with stylistic mixture where I create There is
2: no escape. Yeah, I mean I think um, you know, from my my experience of it was that uh, really after Biggie and Tupac got killed, like the industry, whether it was the labels or the radio stations or the um, the concert promoters, like everyone just was like, Okay, we're done now. You know what I mean? Because it went from being hype and fun and just entertainment to, you know, this real thing. And, you know, you couldn't get insurance. You couldn't get, um, you, like, you couldn't get played on radio anymore because I think people just realize, like, they don't, you know, they did not want to take it that seriously.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the documentary doesn't go, it kind of, Cuts off at, after you know, sure. source awards and Shug did yeah. whatever you did and, and see that whole thing and it catches yeah. on Biggie and Tupac a little bit, and then we literally just you know we kind of skip forward to today and Wiz Khalifa and Ty Dolla Sign YG all those guys and what they did. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but no, I, I I agree with
1: everything you're saying definitely.
2: Do you feel like music is still having that type of impact, or that it, or that it can, or or, what? How do you feel like? music's kind of place in culture has changed um
1: i think you know music is always is going to be like the focus point of or the center point of culture um but i guess regards to hip-hop specifically um, it's change in the way that technology come coming to play and you're and people everyone's able to create you know a great beat Mm -hmm. and a lot of them sound the same and a Mm -hmm. lot of artists sound the same and a lot of you know whereas back then it's like you have to be original there's no other there's no two snoop dogs that sound the same there's no two warren g's that sound the same and you can't you know what i mean whereas now it's like there's like four or five artists that if you put them on a track it would take me a second to figure out exactly who it is yeah and i think that's the biggest difference is the originality aspect of innovating and you know but there's guys that are like drake's album you know he's innovating that sounds like the whole jamaican thing he's got going on like no one's really been doing
2: that Mm mm-hmm
1: um so there is some of it but
2: yeah i mean i think i think it's just that there's that much more music coming out
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah right That so back then you know it took it was hard work to make a record it's not that it's not hard work now but like to get a studio to uh you know to find the beats to you know all of that just took a lot of time and uh you know records took months and years to make where now they weeks in a lot of cases, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know that <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily mean that they're worse, but I think it just that means that there's that much more of it, right? So it's you know, there's five guys that sound alike only because now there's room for five guys. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yo, if you're feeling uh hip hop documentaries Go back into Rebel Radio archives and check out my interview with Stretch and Bobito We caught up with them live on location at the premiere, the L.A. premiere for their documentary, Radio That Changed Lives. If you don't know Stretch and Bobito you need to learn your history. That's a good one. Of course, finish this one first. Let's get back into the interview with Karam Gill. So talk about South By. I know we just got back from South By. It sounded like you had some really successful premiere. There, was it the, Was that the... World premiere was it first first time people were seeing it? Yeah, that was
1: that was a world premiere. Yeah. Uh, then we had two other screenings. Um, man, it was it was incredible. Um,
2: <laughs> incredible yeah. experience. Nice. Yeah. So I want to talk about a couple things. Um, first of all, just like, what does that feel like for strangers to be seeing it for the first time and the response you got and what what's going on inside?
1: Oh, dude, it's <laughs> it's crazy, man. I mean, you know it's just I don't even know like how to describe it like my my buddies they're all just like damn man like we've just been reading the reviews and like you know the press is coming out and, yeah um the first night you know we got a standing ovation which was an incredible incredible feeling to see yeah. you know years of work going into something and, and people liking it
2: mm-hmm. what was going through your head before the movie started I gotta get the sound right yeah <laughs> um are you just, but, like, are you just focused on those kind of details? Yeah. The I, I, yeah. thing
1: is, I didn't even sit. Like, I just stood in the back for yeah. all the screenings. Yeah. I've seen it probably 100, 200 times. Of course. So I was just sitting there like, you know what? My friends are here. My family's here. There's a bunch of people in this theater. Yeah. Um.
2: So are you able cool. to enjoy it? I know, like, you know, I've never made something like that. But anything that I've created, like, I see my focus is always on the flaws that I see. Mm-hmm um that sometimes other people don't see because they're just not paying the kind of attention that I'm paying is that are you doing that or are you able to like enjoy the moment and kind of savor it
1: I'm able to enjoy the moments like you know DOC and Deion Sanders had some hilarious parts that people were cracking up at okay. so I, I love that stuff but at the same time this was a relatively finished project. there's like it's definitely needs a new sound mix and there's some elements to it that it's a work in progress yeah to, to a level um so those things just killed me sitting there watching it, and like I was like, "Damn, like this shit should not be there." So,
2: <laughs> sure.
1: That was frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Yeah. Other than that, it was cool. Not many people. Probably no one noticed it other than me.
2: But, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. for Sure. So then, externally, like, how does it change the game? You know, you uh, you wake up the next day, or you come back from South by, you've had three great screenings and a bunch of great reviews and all that. Like, how does that change the game for you?
1: Oh man, I mean. Um, like I was saying earlier, I think it opens up a lot of doors for me, you know, when people find out that, you know, this was, I was 20, 21, 22, 22 yeah. now working yeah. on this, you know, people are, you know, they want to see what I'm working on next and they want to kind of talk to me. So it's cool. It helps me as a filmmaker career wise. For sure. It's awesome.
2: <clears throat> so what's that process? Like, um, how do you. How do you capitalize on that momentum right if you think about your own career because you know i think for a project like this um again i've never made a film of my understanding it's pretty all consuming right you're just you're you know your head down trying to make this thing right and then you make it and now you got to go out and and bring it to the world and promote it and all that and, and at the same time like you said it's going to create a, a lot of opportunity that people want to know what's next right that um and and I think now is your you have this window. Hopefully, it'll last a long time and be a huge window. But 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 you never know, right? How that how big that window is of opportunity to to g- gain momentum for your career. So how do you how do you do that?
1: Um, you just stay stay working, don't get complacent.
2: Um, you know. So are you already? Is there a next project already? Oh yeah, I got uh, yeah.
1: two things in development right now. Um, nice. I can't really go too in depth on them right now. <laughs> okay. But uh, music stuff. Music, music-driven feature-length projects. Nice. Um, scripted and documentary. Um, and then you know I'm kind of getting interest from a couple different people to work on a couple different things. Yeah. So, um, there's definitely stuff in the works. It's just you know picking that next project. Sure. The reason that this one I think worked out well for me and and I kept my interest and I never got bored is because I'm fascinated with it. I don't ever want to do something that's not I don't have my heart in 100% or I'm not passionate about or I can't sit there all day long and enjoy it. Yeah. So, I think it's about finding that next one that fulfills that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as you said, like you're going to have to watch this whatever movie it is, you know, 100 plus times mm-hmm. if if it's something you don't really care about.
1: Oh, yeah. That's going to be painful. <laughs> exactly, man. So, that's kind of where I'm my head's at.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um is it are you do you have mentors, or are you figuring all this stuff out on your own? Uh,
1: my dad was a filmmaker. Oh, okay. Um, documentary filmmaker. He did some stuff for BBC and ITV. My parents nice. are both from England. Yeah. Um, so he's helped me out, you know, just kind of guiding me a little bit. And then yeah. Warren, honestly, has been one of my mentors. Just kind of teaching me how to be a good person in the entertainment industry. And just, you know, watch out for this, watch out for that, or you know, just even just observing how he his demeanor is and how he acts. Yeah. Um has been a mentor of some sort.
2: What is there, a piece of advice that's been the most impactful for you?
1: Yeah, just he's literally just like, you know, stay true to those who help you out yeah. Um, you know mostly the stuff you learn from Warren is just observing Warren. Um you know the whole no ego aspect of it and and you know like he's just he's a cool dude yeah you just see
2: that yeah how um i don't want to ask you to speak for him but but i'm curious what you observed like and, and and not not just him right but but a lot of guys like you know here at Warren had this you know massive hit you know international hit record whatever and then you know now i know he still does this thing and he has a cool fan base but it's not at that level right and um I'm curious like how people sort of adjust to that right like it's a matter of like shifting expectations that I think sometimes um you know and and again these guys all of them were super young when they're having this like astronomical level of success and I think it's human nature to just expect that to continue on this you know particular trajectory and uh so i'm curious what you observed about people that you know where that didn't happen where they didn't you know continue to be household names but but yet they're still you know making they're still creative right they're still making stuff that a lot of people care about
1: um i i mean uh that's a tricky one i don't know you'd have to ask warren um but i mean just from what i see i mean Everywhere I go, everyone loves Warren G and yeah. have a lot of respect for him. And he's still doing hit records. He had that hit, hit record a couple of years ago for Neo, Leave You Alone. He's producing a bunch of stuff. You know, He's got a soundtrack coming out with the G-Funk movie.
2: That's nice. going to be huge. Cool. I know you do uh, some brand stuff as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Talk about that a little bit. What's what's is that? Um, what drives you to want to do to do video for brands?
1: Um, I think it's you know it's pretty fun to uh, take a brand or a product within a brand, figure out who they're trying to sell it to and try to create effective content to sell it to them and mm-hmm. it's that just sounds like a really complicated version of saying marketing but sure um and advertising but i think you know like i just got off the phone with Fujifilm just now we were just kind of discussing you know how can we create like a worldwide you know docu series you know take this product around the world and how can we integrate it into entertainment maybe do a deal with a record label to do music videos that are shot on, you know what i mean just like different ideas yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting and to like be creative in that world, um, you know. So it's just you know it's just a different avenue.
2: Yeah. Is there something given you know the the experience you have, um, like, is there something you feel that you bring to brands that's different than than what they're getting? You know, other, like, is there a unique lens that you you bring to a brand?
1: Um, yeah, I think you know what I was kind of saying earlier with like the universal um ability to like target younger people Mm -hmm. um a lot of brands are run by you know 40 50 year old dudes in suits so sure you know when I meet with them um they're kind of getting a fresher newer perspective
2: yeah um What, what do you think the brands that you talk to like what do they need to learn about connecting with with young audiences um you know to
1: I think being organic is one. Um, creating content that people want to actually see. I was reading an article the other day, or my buddy was telling me an article the other day about another, um, about um, how narr- like story-driven content is like a million times more effective than um, just stating like the facts or just selling the product. Like if you create a story, whether it's a fake story or whatever, around a sure. product,
2: yeah,
1: it-, it just creates so much more buzz. Hmm. And so I think that's one thing that is super effective yeah developing stories that people can connect to and relate to like oh, I want I to do that mm-hmm. I relate to that
2: mm-hmm. absolutely that's a big one so what about um now that this the project's done you have to go out and market the film right mm-hmm. so um you know that's I think in some ways puts you in a very different role than than being the creator mm-hmm. um how do you I guess you know what's the plan and and how do you um how do you shift gears within yourself mm-hmm. to go into that marketing mode
1: um well i mean I, my creative agency that i that I founded with two of my buddies reed and daniel we're i um, helping out the producers and the film with just the marketing content side of it okay so what we're gonna do is we're gonna pull a bunch of like the uh the stuff that wasn't on camera that was amazing iced tea had some amazing moments and nice there's just some hilarious stuff we're gonna put that all together and have a full rollout campaign okay um and so i didn't i'm not probably probably spearheading that i'll you know i'll chime in when necessary whoever sure. picks up the film for distribution yeah they'll probably have a huge say in that they will have a huge say in that um but you know i, I mean i know that, you know what we have so i'm gonna help out and you know chime in where necessary of course
2: yeah and is it um uh You know, obviously, Netflix and and streaming videos sort of changed the game, I think, where, you know, probably not too long ago, if something wasn't in theaters, it sort of wasn't official. Um, Is that something you guys think about? Like, just streaming versus theatrical?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, those offers are all, you know, on the table and everything. I'm not really too... I'm involved in all that. It's kind of the producer's... but um yeah i mean you know we'd love to do everything i would love to do everything personally but (laughs) we'll see what happens i don't know yeah they're handling all that stuff yeah yeah. they just let me know what they decide (laughs) are there
2: other um what's do you have a what are some other like music documentaries that that you know are favorites of yours
1: oh man i love the uh i love the amy winehouse documentary
2: Mm.
1: um i loved uh I really really like the amy one i started i like tupac resurrection was good um it's not a music documentary it's an entertainment documentary i love the legend of shep gordon superman oh yeah yeah. that's probably my favorite documentary that's great it's a great documentary yeah mike myers did that one um so yeah i mean i i, I you know i love documentaries <laughs> huh? that's my thing so yeah
2: nice well i have a little um speed round that that i want to go through before we wrap up um Let me just make sure I get to all these right. Oh, what about favorite music video?
1: Favorite music video? Yeah. Ooh. I love the uh, Sun Models Odessa video. Okay. By Ian Ponce-Joel. I really like that one. I love... uh, the I forgot the name of the video it's by Gustafelstein okay um it's like everyone knows that I forgot the name of it that's a great one um you know what I really liked the 24k Magic Bruno Mars video Uh just because I thought the production value on it was incredible I thought you know the way it was the palette everything about it was just so the choreography was amazing sure that's another one I really liked
2: do you like that song
1: I don't, you know, I don't mind it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a it's a poppy, cool song. Yeah. But, I mean, those are probably, like, three videos that just come to the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should be. No, I, I, I
2: was more, I asked that more curious, like, uh, does it matter if you like a song? Like, can you like a video and not like the song? Goes oh, yeah,
1: I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I think, you know, you can like a video that makes you then like a song. Sure. That's happened all the of course. time. Yeah, um, yeah totally. Sure.
2: Okay. Um, all right, cool. So uh, if you can go back, well, we're not going back very far, but um, say to your, to your 18-year-old self or before you started in this on this path and give one piece of advice to yourself, what would you say?
1: Uh, start earlier. Yeah. <laughs> start right
2: now. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's – that's good um is there something that you used to believe and and then later you decided you'd been wrong um
1: yeah you know I used to believe that like you know making a film is like this so this super far-fetched out of this world idea that like you know you need to do this and that and it's just, like years to do and the contract phase takes like a year and then it falls through and it's just yeah. da, 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 but it's really not like honestly you meet the right producers you got a, you got a good story. You got your vision straight, and you're driven. It'll happen. So that's a big myth.
2: Was there so given that was there moments where you felt like I you know I can't do this like like how could I possibly?
1: No, I, I don't I don't think so. It's just you're more in it. Yeah, and... it was just more so one of those things where it's like this is gonna take forever, yeah. and I you know I hope it works out and it doesn't fall through and I have to start all over again. I knew it was gonna happen eventually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's just a matter of like when it fully just goes in one big wave.
2: That's cool. What talent have you always wished you had more of? Music. I wish I could. I wish I could do music. What would, what would you do
1: if I could do music? I don't know, man. I I, I probably would be a producer. Okay. Um. Or like a, a drummer. Oh yeah. I don't, I wouldn't want to sing or rap. Yeah. I don't think I have the street credibility for that.
2: I don't know, man. the The bar keeps changing for that. <laughs> That's true. Um. Well, this might you might have already answered this, but. If you could choose another career and know that you wouldn't fail, what what would it be? Oh, I'd probably play professional soccer. Okay. For sure. Nice. Or music, damn. <laughs> yeah, those are good choices. Yeah. Uh, Who you, would you play for?
1: Uh, probably like uh, somewhere in
2: England. Yeah. Premier League. Probably Premier League, yeah. Definitely. Favorite team? Chelsea. Okay. Nice. They're friends of ours. <laughs> Um. So, who would you be most excited to learn was a fan of of your work? Um.
1: You know, probably like a Quentin Tarantino would be would be incredible. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's a huge G funk fan. I can't imagine he is. He's probably not.
2: <laughs> but uh. I oh, know you got to do a screening for him and RZA.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I know they're actually they're working together. Yeah, obviously. yeah, they they, they do a lot stuff. together. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah, damn, maybe he is. I don't know. Okay. that'll be that be cool. I think yeah. that'd be really cool. If, you know,
2: for sure, he's incredible. So I know you said you like to travel. What um what's your favorite city to travel to?
1: My favorite city to travel to, I would say. You know what after coming back from austin i love austin <laughs> but i would say it's you know L- london's awesome i love uh i love new york i love um costa rica not a city but costa rica is an incredible place yeah There's adventure and all that and whatnot yeah
2: um i don't know man There's a those are good ones yeah I'm, I'm down um do you collect anything
1: Do I collect anything
2: uh not really no no, um, no. What's the last great book you read? The last great book, Steve Jobs biography,
1: uh, cool. by Walter Isaacson. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible.
2: Is there a book that that's had a a big impact on your uh, on you as a filmmaker? That book for sure. Yeah,
1: hundred um, percent. From a design standpoint, mm. the emphasis he put on design and attention to detail is something that, you know, I've kind of made a staple of what I do and focus point, you know, make sure everything's clean. And, and, you know, I spent probably three days just picking the font for this film. Mm -hmm. So.
2: I mean, I think that's one of the great things about documentaries. Obviously, there's so many stories that need to be told, but I also think, like, um, people are just doing really cool, things with design in those films which you you kind of can't do in a in like a dramatic film right because it's just a different thing but but fonts and like you wouldn't think about a font in a comedy Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um but yeah like like all that I I think it was uh watching the AM documentary um just the way like they transitioned between interviews and and just all the graphics and stuff Mm -hmm. I think that's cool stuff
1: Oh yeah, I mean, there's you. You have to stylize your documentary, and yeah. you know, ours is not stylized to like an, an insane level, of, you know, compared to like Superman or something like that. Sure. But you know, you do have to have like a, a design and style in mind when you when you approach
2: it. Yeah. You know, what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life?
1: What movie I've seen the most in my life,
2: man. Uh.
1: I don't know. I I try not to. Wa- Honestly, I try not to watch a movie more than like,
2: twice. Oh wow! Three times. That's impressive. Yeah, it's weird.
1: Um, I just like, and and I'll I'll watch it once and I'll watch it again to look at, you know, certain things like, or for enter- or I'll watch it once and just hyper analyze and I'll watch it once for entertainment and then yeah, you know, after that it's like if I keep watching it, uh, <laughs> I can't. Even as a kid. As a kid, I mean, I will watch, like cartoons. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah sure. And whatnot. Uh i've seen munich a bunch oh wow um kind of that's random. great i've seen cash if you can I've seen, okay um uh, everyone's seen home alone like a thousand times totally so that, if you were to actually go numerically i've probably seen Home alone a million times yeah yeah
2: yeah i love that question because it's never like our it's never the best movie oh yeah it's always the christmas movie yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah because it's just on all the time yeah that's hilarious um what about favorite dj um
1: I'm just gonna say artists, cause I don't really okay listen to them. I mean Anderson Pack. Yeah, you know? love them.
0: So precious,
1: it's yours, it's mine,
0: only one at the time.
2: He's probably my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> you seen him live? I haven't seen him live, oh, but I,
1: I've met him. I yeah. was at Coachella last hey, year, yeah. and he was uh, hanging out with Dre, and I was standing next to him, and I didn't. I didn't know it was Anderson Pack at that time, because, like, back then, last Coachella, he wasn't huge yet. Right. I think he was just coming off South By, and uh, yeah. he's saying, can I get a Corona? And I was like, yeah, for sure, man. And after the fact, my buddy's like, dude, that's Anderson Pack. I was like, oh, my God.
2: Man, I, t- <laughs> I took, like, six people to uh, to see him at Coachella. Yeah. I mean, I didn't take him to Coachella, but, like, we went mm-hmm. over to the tent, to, and they were, like, house music fans. that never heard of him. He's amazing. And then they're all, like, Anderson Pack fans now.
1: You can't not like him. He's, yeah. like the blend of soulful, you know, with today. It's yeah. like no, it's he's, incredible.
2: He's amazing. Yeah. Well good stuff, man. Dude, thank you for yeah. making time for this interview. I appreciate it. Can't wait to see the film. I'm I'm bummed yeah. that I missed it in Austin, but uh we'll definitely be looking for it. Um so how do people how are people gonna find you or the or the film online?
1: Um well you can find me uh content, I mean that's my email but I don't, I don't know you can just can go on, my my you on social?
2: Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Okay. Uh,
1: Gill underscore. Uh, on Twitter, CarmGill underscore. Okay. Um, you can find the film, um, you know, in the next little while, we'll have a distribution deal announced at some nice. point. And then uh, we'll be at the Nashville Film Festival, Nashville Film Music Festival coming up. And then we'll have our, you know, Canadian premiere coming up as well in April. Dope. Oh. And then I think there's a few more festivals. I got to check the calendar. Okay, cool. But, uh We'll be around. Yeah. People
2: will
1: definitely be able to see it soon. Nice.
2: This year for sure. Can't wait. I'm excited. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. All right, that's a wrap with Karam Gill. Make sure you look for the G-Funk documentary coming soon to a screen near you. And um, make sure you check out Rebel Radio next week. Peace.